morning. Like that song, it's a good way as we go into the passage this morning. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors. Glad that you're here. If you're visiting this morning, thanks for so much for joining us online as well. Last week, everybody have a good Fourth of July holiday. Yeah, it was good. We've been. That's good. We were talking about it for like a week early, and then we were talking about it a week late. So there you go. I wanted to close that loop. Uh, glad that you guys had a good one. Uh, last week, Emmanuel was preaching at the beginning of chapter 5 in James. That's where we'll be this morning in James chapter 5, verse 7. But talking about just the rich and how the pursuit of money and wealth can oppress people, but it also suppresses the truth in our lives and that we can't serve two masters. And while God, and then he reminded us so kindly and so eloquently of how so richly blessed we are in Christ, that in Christ God has given us everything that we need. And that because of our following Christ, he'll give us everything that we need to live in this world. But sometimes we get discouraged or we get distracted. And that we sometimes chase after things that we shouldn't instead of chasing after Jesus. And how that suppresses the truth, it oppresses people, and how he gave us a, a very kind warning of to actually not do that. So if our pursuit of wealth and happiness actually gets in the way of us loving and serving one another, he said, just simply repent and turn away from that. But it also suppresses the truth within us, too, because... My heart can't serve two masters. Our hearts can't serve two masters. And if I put more stock into what I have, or sometimes it's easier to think about what I don't have, then I lose sight of what Jesus is up to in, our li- in my life. And we do that in our lives as well. And so the warning to the rich in James chapter 5 and how the, 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 the things of this earth are fleeting, James changes his language now to talk about patience and patience and suffering. If you think about what this letter is written to, he's written to a church that is struggling, that is on the run, that is being oppressed. And so it's interesting, isn't it, while, while this church, at least as James is writing, can be oppressed, but somehow we could forget that we could oppress and suppress the truth as well. And then he turns his attention to the patients. But I was just thinking, um, what's a good idea of just where it means to be patient? And I think there's no better way to do that than in airports, right? And if, you, you know, if you've ever been on an airplane or in airports, like, you have to go through all the rigmarole, right, to get onto the plane. And then when you get where you're going, have you noticed how everybody jumps up and, but doesn't go anywhere? Have you ever noticed that? Like, like as soon as like, as soon as you hear that beep, it's like, oh, seatbelts are going off, and and we're getting, and, and and everybody pops up. But like, if you pop up too hard, like you bust your head on the bulkhead, and and then everybody's kind of crowded in the line, but we're all just kind of waiting to like, is this row going to jump in front of me, or like, can I go? Should I? I don't have a bag, or whatever. And if you've noticed that that happens, and like, there is no better place to to display patience or to ask for God for extra patience than the airport. But sometimes, like I was, on a, I was on a flight recently, and I've never been on a flight before, but they had a medical emergency. Um, they didn't land the plane early, but someone thought their appendix was bursting. So evidently, the flight crew was talking with the doctors. And, and so when we got close to the gate, they announced, hey, by the way, we've had a medical emergency. We're going to ask everybody to sit down. 
and let them get off first. And, and there was ambulances waiting at the gate, and there were EMTs and, and fire and, and all the things. And so at that point, like, if everybody would have just done what normally they do, which is pop up and try to figure out how to get off the plane as quick as they can, they would have gotten in the way of that person receiving the attention that they needed. But have you ever been on a plane where people just kind of bum rush from the back to the front? Like, there's no medical emergency, but they just kind of, like, as soon as, like, they're running up the aisle until they get stopped by the crowd getting out of the seat. And it's just this idea of, I don't know about you, but, like, it's just rude, right? I mean, it's just, like, there's, rudeness is this on display a lot of places in our world, whether it's on 20 or driving around Bowen or the airport or at the grocery store or whatever. Um, and sometimes you just want to meet rudeness, and what we think is rude is it's probably impatience on their part. They're probably not rude at all. But you just want to just like grab people and like, will you just be nicer? But then you find yourself being frustrated and, and upset and, and argumentative because your day's not going the way that you thought it would. And so in the passage this morning, James is making a similar statement about just how sometimes our impatience is counterproductive to what God's trying to do in our life. Our impatience is sometimes counterproductive to where we need to see what he's up to. And it is in no better picture than in suffering. I don't know about you, but like I don't wake up in the morning and think, man, I, I really hope I'm suffering well today. Or that I want to suffer at all. And sometimes I think we take a retreat, life circumstances, especially when we suffer like it's an airplane that we're just trying to get off of as fast as we can. But James, in the passage, he says actually in two distinct ways um, that as Christians we're to be patient. And number one, Christians need to be patient. Christ followers need to be patient because God's timing is not our timing. Meaning, when we want things to happen... That doesn't necessarily mean that, that God wants those things to happen at that time. He want, we want these things to happen like that job promotion or that relationship to fix itself. Or school to be over or for school to begin if you're a nerd, right? I mean, like, you know, some, like, I have one kid who's a nerd and she's like, I'm so ready for school. And I'm like, who are you? You know, like, for goodness sakes, watch some more Netflix and enjoy your summer, you know. But, like, you know, so school to be over, you know. Or, here you go, like, who's ready for summer to be over because of the heat? But for some reason, God evidently wants Texas summers to be long and hot and dry. So sometimes the better statement is God causes things. Like, we want things to happen, God doesn't. Sometimes God causes things to happen in our life or delays things happen in our life so that he could teach us something about him and something about ourselves that it's typically I think that song we sing right it's the when God uses hard times in my life to teach me he's, he's reminding me that Jesus actually walked out of the grave and I can't walk out of the grave on my own you know so other times maybe it's a maybe you didn't want that job, job change that, that came and you didn't see that coming, and all of a sudden you're in a new line of work, or you're having to look for a new line of work, or maybe you're sick, and you didn't think that that was going to happen, or that car repair, or that unexpected expense, but these things happen. 
because we have no choice but to trust God. Because what is what's left, right? If God's moving in a way that I don't understand, or He's moving in our lives in a way that we don't understand, what other option is there? We could either put our head down and get off the plane as quick as we can, or we could trust God in His timing, which leads us to the second way, is we should be patient because there are things I wish God would use in my life to accomplish His purposes, right? We have those things. Like, it'd be great if I had a little more hair. But He doesn't use that anymore in my life, right? You know, maybe, you know, it could be that class. It could be that job. It could be those things. But as we all know, God's ways are not our ways. Just like His timing is not our timing, God's ways are also not our ways. And so when I think about why do hard things have to happen in my life or in my world or in the world to get my attention? But God uses those things to get our attention. And half the time, I think we're just, as I said a second ago, just trying to just make our way from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And we never, ever stop to think, what does it look like for us to be patient when that happens? What does it look like for us to suffer well, which is what James is talking about? There's tragedy and disagreements and politics, but hey, God's ways are not my ways, which leads us to the central theme of this morning, which is patience. So if you don't walk away with anything else, it's that to follow God is to be patient because his ways and his timings are not ours, but leads us to the central truth this morning, to be a Christ follower. So like just Put this in your mind. Write it down somewhere later. To be a Christ follower is to be patient. Because growth never happens the way that we want. Growth never happens as fast as we want. To be patient because God's timing and His ways are better than our own. They're better than our own. And that's hard because like I know what I want and I know what I need. And we often know what we want or what we need or what we don't have, whether it's financially or spiritually or some other issue. But I want to encourage you this morning is that it's okay to feel out of sync with where God is and what he's doing. Or more importantly, when he is doing it or when he is not. It is okay to feel out of sync. Because his timing and and, and what he's up to isn't up to us. But it requires patience and submission, and sacrifice. And I read that somewhere. I think the fruit of the Spirit is patience, and peace, and joy. But half the time I just keep my head down because I'm just trying to get through the thing with never ever stopping to think, what is he trying to show me around the thing? And so James is taking this idea of patience further and he's saying, actually, Christ follower, not only should patience be a descriptor of our walks, It should also be a motivation in times of suffering. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Not only should we be a patient people, a patient follower, but it should be the motivation. How is patience a motivating motivation for me to suffer? And I think we're going to get that in the passage. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Not a very long passage this morning. But I want to read that over to you. Be patient, James says. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. It's twice he said patient in the same verse. Until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. 
trying to get off the airplane because that's never productive, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We'll get there in a little bit. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall into condemnation. Who's heard that, by the way? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's pretty famous, right? In the Bible, did you realize that that this was statement was written because in a passage talking about patience let your yes be yes and your no be no so the natural question out of verse 7 is James saying be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord is this how long are we supposed to be patient whether we are suffering or just following the Lord right that's the natural implication of that verse how long are we supposed to Like, is it just for 30 seconds or for half a day or for the week? Or, gosh, I'm going to have a really hard week this week. God, you're going to have to give me extra patience. And the answer is, is patience is required until the Lord comes. So so the when question is actually kind of moot because it says, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And so if we're going to be patient, it's not a how long, it's a when he comes back when he comes back which is great because now we know what the measure is it's not to be patient until you get through the argument and then you can start treating each other the same way you did before the argument or be patient uh, with your boss because they're having a bad day until they're having a good day and then you don't have to have patient any patience anymore no actually James is saying he's he's defined the win When should we be patient? Until the Lord comes, which is great because now we know what that looks like. But it's bad because we don't know when he's coming back. We just know that Jesus' return is imminent. Have you ever, by the way, we believe that theologically, like he ascended and he's going to come back. And so we believe Jesus' return is imminent. But have you ever had that day where it doesn't feel that imminent? It doesn't feel like it's further away than yesterday or... You know, and so the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. Jesus says that, you know, the disciples are like, Jesus, when are you coming back? They thought it was going to be really quick. And he's like, actually, no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. I don't even know. Jesus doesn't even know. And so James is calling us to be patient. It's interesting. This is Jesus' brother calling us to be patient. And I think it's one reason is because Jesus himself is being patient because he doesn't know when he's going to return he's sitting right now at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf in heaven and he's waiting for God to say go get your church go get your people they're waiting so while we're waiting he's waiting while he's waiting we're waiting and I just want to say something I know we spend a lot of time waiting to get in on and off airplanes or from this day to that day or that appointment to that appointment or this season to the next season, we spend a lot of time waiting. But Jesus is waiting too, but he's not just waiting to get through the thing. He is eagerly anticipating his return. And we should do that too. 
And so I think one thing to do in patience is to actually kind of turn, just spin the facet for just a minute that we should be patient because patience can be eager even though it might be hard instead of something to really avoid. Jesus is waiting to go get his bride, and we have to be patient in his waiting. So this is a conclusion, the conclusionary statement for the whole book of James. Therefore, and you know, in all things that James has been talking about with disagreements and teachers and arguments and false teachers and money, James's answer to all those things, which seem like, I don't know, somewhat applicable to today, is that we should be a patient people, which brings us to number two, truth number two. Patience is the answer to grow as Christ followers. Patience is the answer to grow as Christ followers. If the first truth was this, to be a Christ follower, to be patient because God's timing and ways aren't our ways, patience is the answer to grow as Christ followers. So the natural question is, is why am I growing or not? I don't know. And patience is actually the fuel for growth because patience is required. Look at the second half of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being what? Patient. Patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The rain this morning was kind of fun, wasn't it? My dog was super scared to get out of the crate, so he did not go to the bathroom, but that's on him, not on me. Um, Patience is required to grow. Jesus said it this way in Mark 4 and and 26. Jesus says when it comes to about crops growing, which I love this picture. And he said, the kingdom of heaven as if a man shall scatter seed on the ground. Kingdom of heaven. We're familiar with this passage. The kingdom of the the parable of the sower. The kingdom of heaven is a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and he grows, but he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that is growing, and yet, you know, you, you watch a, a seed, you put something in the ground, and it takes forever for it to sprout, right? And that's what patience is. That's why patience is required for growth, because if we're not patient, we never give the seed that God is putting in us or has put in us from days and weeks and months and years ago. Sometimes we wait years for seeds that God has put in us and those promises that he has told us for it to take root and for it to grow. And all we want to do is just harvest it, right? That's all we want to do is harvest. But the farmer in Jesus' parable doesn't know how it grows, but he just knows when it's ripe and ready to harvest. The early rains, and so back to, to, to James, the early rains have come. The early rains have come, just as Jesus was saying. I, think, I wonder if James was around when Jesus said this parable because he uses the similar metaphor is that being patient about it until it receives the early and the, rain, the late rains. And here's the thing. A farmer would never, ever, ever, like, think about it, right? I mean, you drive past fields, and there's cotton in this state. There's corn. There's all kinds of different pastures in this state. A farmer would never, ever, ever 
pull up the field that he just planted because it's not growing fast enough. What would he do? He would wait. He would be patient, right? Because pulling a crop early doesn't cause fruit and growth. Just like you'll never pull a brisket early because it makes it trash. Or you never, ever, ever dump the water out as you're going to boil pasta because it's not boiling fast enough. You have to wait. And that's what James is saying. You cannot rush, interestingly enough, what? Patience. You can't rush patience. You need patience. And then you can't rush it because you need it. And then look at verse 8. I love verse 8 is, is James Ryan. You also must be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love that word establish. It means perfect. Like just put your hearts in a place where it's on a firm foundation. And let patience grow. Like a crop receiving rain. And I don't know about you... But I do this all the time, and I have to slow down. What I realize is, here's what I realize. Like, if you ever take any time away, like, what I realize is how hard I go all the time. And I cram every little thing in my day as much as I can because it's efficient, and I want to be a good steward of the time I've given. But then I realize when I slow down, I realize how fast I move. And then, the, the, you know, it's the, the clock starts ticking because I know I'm about to enter back into that lifestyle of cramming everything in as much as I can, and if I just push through, if we just continue to push through and not allow patience time to grow, then we never, ever, ever make the time or have the time to connect the dots to see what God is up to with the experiences that we experience. See that? If I'm just pushing through, I never take the time to connect the dots, which is truth number three. Connecting dots helps us understand suffering. Connecting dots requires Patience. Connecting dots helps us understand suffering, and connecting dots requires patience. And so if I'm just trying to push through, I never take the time to connect the dot, right? Like, like sometimes I was reading a story the other day of someone who forgot to put gas in their tank, and they, uh, and, and, and they ran out of gas. And they're like, well, they were so busy, they never put gas in their tank. Of course, you're going to run out of gas at some point. And I think we do that with our spiritual lives. We are running on half full, half empty tanks, never taking the time to connect the dots or even put the gas back in our tank. Because when we connect dots, you know what that does? It reframes our vision to see what God is up to. It reframes our vision or eyesight to see, gosh, he's using that thing that I don't want to happen. Or he's using that thing that I wish he would happen, right? Or he's using this thing that I wish I had more of or less of so that we could connect the dots to see what he's up to in our life. Because remember, he's trying to remind us that what? He has walked out of the grave. And he wants you and I to walk out of the grave too. Just like an army that would strengthen its defenses, you and I are to strengthen. That's what the word establish means, by the way, to strengthen. And so let me just reread the passage again, or the verse again. You also be patient, establish, strengthen, or strengthen. You be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Strengthen our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And just like an army would defend 
its base and its castle and, when, and strengthen its defenses. Can't do that without patience and without suffering and without enduring and perseverance and all the other fruits of the Spirit. And so I can't do that. I can't strengthen the walls of my heart and my spirit if I'm just trying to push through this thing that's uncomfortable and painful and hard and I didn't see coming. But until he does come back, right? If James is saying, hey, be patient until the Lord comes back and the coming of the Lord is at his hand, we will continue to experience turmoil in our world and in our hearts and in our lives. And as a mentor said, trouble in my heart leads to trouble in the world. Or trouble in the world leads to trouble in my heart, depending on where you, you fall on that spectrum. We're going to do that all the time because what? We are groaning, as the Bible says, in anticipation for his return. And so James is calling us to strengthen, establish our hearts, which means at a base level, I think we have to meet suffering with patience which means we can't outrun it, which means we can't push through it. And half the time, I spend most of my life trying to get where I'm going as quick as I can and as fast as I can because I've got the next thing coming. But the hard thing about hard circumstances is there's always one more wave behind the wave coming to the beach. Always one more wave. Don't fool yourselves. I, we do it all the time. I get it. I do it too, right? It's like, man, things are really good right now. This is awesome. And then I'm so surprised when things fall apart. But I never stop to ask, God, why are things falling apart? And what do I need to learn more about you and learn more about myself? Because when Jesus returns, there's not going to be any more need for strengthening my heart. Because I will live, we will live in fulfillment and in complete perfection of who we were originally created to be and who he is. But until then, we have to do our part which means we have to make our hearts as strong as we can. So how do you make hearts strong? Well, you exercise, right? I don't know if you're a runner or you, card, you, know, you like cardio. I love Tanya's shirt. It says worship is her cardio. They should start teaching that class here or something, right? But that's the thing. Cardiovascular exercise is how you make hearts strong. I heard a quote the other day, the illusion of running. I love this quote. I thought it was really good. Uh, it was in a movie, actually, so I wrote it down. It's the Air Jordan movie. Um, it's, uh, the guy, Ben Affleck's playing Phil Knight, who created Nike, and, and Phil was a runner. And so Nike was primarily a running company before it became uh, a basketball shoe company, right? And, and so they're having an argument, and, and Phil, Ben, says this. He says, the illusion of running is that the finish line is the destination. The illusion of running is the, that the finish line is the destination, but actually the process of running is the destination. The process. And he says, you suffer when you run. You don't run to finish. You run to suffer because that's what makes you better. God is calling us to the right kind of cardiovascular exercise spiritually. And we can't grow our hearts and strengthen our hearts if we're not willing to stretch and work our hearts, which we do that with suffering and being patient and staying off the flight. And so my flesh, I don't know about you, but like I would rather just push through and get off the plane as quick as I can. But that's not the right kind of exercise. You see the memes, right? On Instagram, like the gym fails, right? Where people are doing weird things with weird exercise equipment that has nothing to do with the exercise equipment, 
right, that, that they're working out on, right? It's like the person that's supposed to be doing push-ups and they're like doing this weird leg press thing. Have you seen that? Have seen those videos? They're pretty funny, right? We do that all the time spiritually, by the way. We live our, our lives in such a way that we're working our hearts in a way that God never intended. And part of that is pushing through. Pushing to get off the plane of suffering is not an exercise. Suffering is flying. Suffering is flying. And Jesus' return is at hand. And that is the destination. Even then, we don't get to set the destination. Jesus sets that destination. Look, we don't say when he comes back. James just says to strengthen our hearts until he comes back. We don't even know what the destination is. But James is calling us to the process of eagerly anticipating his return. And while we do that, we'll be patient and we'll suffer and we'll point people to Jesus and we become salt and light and a city on a hill. And this is the grand thing that you and I have been called to, which leads us to truth number four. Suffering and living for Christ is our process. That is our destination. Not to get through it, but to suffer. Not to get through it, but to suffer to finish the race, to glorify him in worship, to trust him, to point others to him, to suffer for his namesake. That's a radical thing, isn't it? Do you know there are Christians in this world right now that are losing their lives for the sake of Jesus' name? And I just want to get off the plane of suffering as quick as I can. How small my faith is sometimes. Suffering and living for Christ is our process that is our destination. So what is suffering the patience that we should know? It's verse 10. James has given us a little more of the answer here. Let me reread verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience. So here you go. All right, you note taker in the room or underliner or highlighter. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Well, okay. You and I, James is saying, are to follow the example of the prophets of old. And so what do the prophets of old do? What do prophets do? They lead by example. They call people to loving God more and giving their own life up and holding their own lives cheap in the life of God more. And so that's what we're supposed to do, to live like the prophet of old. Well, there's one requirement for a prophet. It's verse 11. You're like, well, I'm not a prophet. Like, that's not me. I'm not Jeremiah or Isaiah, or Daniel, all those guys, like those guys had a hard life. And, you know, I'm not as smart as them or not as in tune with them. But then James says this in verse 11. So you're like, don't, don't think that you don't are called to be a prophet in this example of suffering and patience. Behold, we consider those who blessed, who remained steadfast. So the requirement to be a prophet is to remain steadfast. So if God is calling you and me to strengthen our hearts to follow him and no matter what, then all we have to do is to agree that we are steadfast in doing so. God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know where this is going to end. This might cost me something more than I think it should, but I'm going to be committed to you in a way that I've not been before. And I'm going to trust you to help me get through this and help walk this because I can't pull myself out of the grave but Jesus, you've walked out of the grave, so I've got this path in front of me, this path from death to life, that all I have to do is just put one feeble step in front of the other. I'm not trying to get to the finish line because you do that. I just want to do this right. I want to do this well. And James mentions Job. 
and his steadfastness. So if you know Job's story, he was a, a man who loved God, who was devoted to God, who had all the things. So like he didn't need anything. He had all the money. He had all the wisdom. He had the family that he wanted. He had the friends. He had everything that he wanted. Interesting that James mentions Job after warning to the rich. He had everything he wanted on this side of eternity, and yet really bad things happened. In Job 27, Job's having a conversation with his friends. His wife's like, why are you still following that God? He's cost you everything. You've just lost your kids. The house fell in on them. People came and took your cattle. You've got all your stuff. You've been plundered. Like you've been conquered. Like you're sitting there in ashes and sackcloth. You've been, you ever felt like you just lost? Like you just took the L for the day, right? This is Job. And he says this in Job 27, starting in verse 2. As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty, Almighty who has made my soul bitter. See, I mean, he's acknowledging, God, you've got me in this hard place. Sometimes I think we think, man, for me to be authentic in my walk, I can't tell God that I'm kind of pissed at him. But Job's here saying that. And he's saying, who has made my soul bitter as long as my breath is in me, In the spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. He acknowledges where he is with God, but yet still remains committed to him. See that? Have you ever ever just done that? Like, God, I am suffering long. I'm in this long season. I'm just kind of angry about it. I'm frustrated about it. I don't know if I could go on. I don't see where you're up to. Will you meet me where where I am? Because Job was never left on alone by God. But then I love 42 as he gets closer to the end of the story where he's starting to see what God is up to. And he's having a conversation with the Lord. And it says in verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours could be thwarted. So Job is saying, God, like, you can do all things. Like your plan can't be changed. I could go 10 degrees off that way, but you're still going to accomplish your purposes in my life. And so James is making the connection in the second half of verse 11 that the purpose of the Lord is surrounded by what? And so here's the interesting thing. So like if the plan of God can't be thwarted and God could do all things, then here's the final thing. We don't need to run from patience. We don't need to push through patience. We need to allow it time to grow. But then we need to also consider God's motives in the times where we suffer. And it's the second half of verse 11. Steadfast as a Job, you have seen the purpose of the Lord what? How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, I don't know how all oh, that fits with patience and suffering, but God is, if he's the best of all things, he is the highest form of compassion. If he's the best of all things, he is the highest form of mercy. And sometimes I think we have to re-look and re-identify the suffering and the seasons that we're in that actually God's hand, even while it's hard and this season is hard, that that doesn't change his compassion and mercy on our lives. But I think we do that all the time, don't we? God, you're not doing what I want. You're not doing this what I want. Where's your compassion? Where's your mercy? But God never runs out of compassion and mercy because Jesus is seated on the throne. Meaning, no matter what happens to us, we can trust God. And when we struggle with patience and suffering, we have to believe that God is merciful and compassionate with us. Amen?
Because what else is there? To resign ourselves to ashes and sackcloth? Or that things will never change? Or things will never get better? Or that situation that my life is depending on right now will never ever be repaired? But yet God is compassionate and mercy because His ways are not our ways. And His timing is not our timing. And we have no idea the other things that are at play in the equation of our lives and the life of this world. But God sees all of it and never ever gets confused. He never ever loses sight of what He's trying to do. So the band's going to come back up. And as we transition from the scripture to our hearts, I just want to remind you, James is saying to his church, don't ignore suffering. Christ follower, don't ignore suffering. Don't push through it. Don't avoid it. But rather, press in and embrace it. Or as Phil would say in the movie, which is a horrible analogy, be the runner that God has created you to be, to run after him no matter what. And then we get to verse 12. But of all brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth any other oath. And so what he's saying there is, is no matter what, don't say I will follow God because of all the good things that happen. Or I won't follow God because of all the bad things that happen. He's actually saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he's saying, regardless of what's happening in your life, in patience or in suffering, follow him or don't. Follow him or don't. But make a decision. Because if you're not, then don't. But don't be half in and half out. Be completed in your faith as you press in and walk out of the grave in the path that Jesus has made for all of us. Because to follow is to suffer sometimes at our own hand or at the hand of others. So we're going to have three response questions on the board as we sing. And I just want to say, like, I know, like, it's 4th of July, it's summer, it's supposed to be easy, but I don't, don't want to miss the fact that James is calling us to consider how to be more than what we are, and we do that with patience and suffering. It's by three questions. One, am I avoiding suffering and still trying to get where God wants me to go? Am I trying to avoid suffering and still trying to get to where God wherever wants me to go, right? Unfortunately, you've got to go through security before you can get on the plane. And sometimes you get patted down, right? Which is awkward and weird. But it happens. Number two, how can I look at the suffering I'm currently experiencing as God's compassion and mercy? Because that's hard. Because that means I have to check my heart. And I skipped the first one. Am I all in to follow the Lord? wherever he goes. I'm all in. And so that's what I'm going to put before you. So as we sing, I want to ask you to stand and pray and just spend some time with the Holy Spirit. Let him speak into you. Because this is not easy. Like, understanding who Jesus is, that's the milk. You know, we talk about how, how the Bible talks about there's actual meat and that we should move on from as, and not be infants anymore, but be adults. This is the meat that we're called to chew. And so many of us want to pull our teeth out and would rather drink milk. But there's a better way. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would cause each of our hearts to, to, to just consider where you have us and what you're up to in our life. And God, I, my prayer is that no matter what, whether things are good or bad, things are hard or easy, whether we're facing a health thing, God, that we would see you first and foremost as compassionate and merciful.
because that's the only thing that's going to cause me to take a next step because, God, I can, I can say that I trust you. So I ask in the, in the parts of my heart and in my journey and my spiritual walk that I'm just trying to push through, God, have me slow down and just be patient. When I pray that for all of us, there's, all, there's, there's something that each of us are thinking, God, I really hope you're not calling me to be patient in that. And I actually think Jesus is actually calling us to be patient in that. Because Jesus didn't cause us to come to give us life, but he gave us life to the full. And we can't live life to the full, God, without saying, have it all. So as we sing, let us be reminded of your compassion and your grace and your mercy and your strength and your plan and your purposes. And God, let us not wilt under the sun of suffering. But remind us of the roots that you have put down deep. And we trust you. It's in your name. Amen.